Anybody else want to limbo the camera real quick? Or? <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I know this is a, a weekend for uh, all of us to kind of get the chance to, you know, maybe take an extra day or two off or kind of the official kickoff to summer for so many people. But I hope that um, you take a moment this weekend and pause and, and reflect on uh, the purpose of, the meaning of, of Memorial Day, why we, we have that, and the, the freedoms that we, we have. Um, but as, as we get ready to jump in this morning, <clears throat> just want to kind of stop and reflect back just a little bit. This is, uh, you got to forgive me, I've never quite preached a, a last sermon before, so uh, you kind of have to forgive me if this is a little bit of a different take this, this week, but... Um, it was almost five years ago, just a couple months shy of five years ago, that my journey here started. It was uh, July of, of that summer. In fact, uh, the spring of 2016, I'd finished a, a residency in Phoenix, Arizona, had gone back to Oklahoma for this stretch because we were in between you know, trying to find jobs. I'd, I'd reached out to, to other pastors that I knew, uh, you know, trying to use connections. And I don't have a huge connection circle, but you know, just trying to... Uh, to, to connect the dots there, and, uh, you know, things would come up empty, and, and so uh, it's just funny how God works, because I, I went up to uh, Ozark Christian College, where I'd gone to Bible college, uh, and, and sat and uh, chatted with some of my former professors, one of whom, uh, I've told you this story, is my preaching professor, Dr. Mark Scott, uh, one of the best preaching professors, I, I think, in the country. Uh, Ozark, one of the best Bible colleges in the country for just a core doctrine, Bible type of, of education. But I went up and talked with Mark that day and mostly just was catching up. I hadn't seen him in a few years. But I asked him, I said, you know, you're connected. You've been around. You know, Mark's in his upper 60s. He's actually just retired from Ozark and he's going to go preach at a church for a few years to, to wrap up his ministry career. But I just asked him, I said, do you know of anyone looking for a job or anyone looking for a pastor, any churches out there? And, well, I don't, but uh, if I hear of anything, I'll, I'll let you know. And the next morning, I got an email from Mark. Hey, I talked to a guy uh, yesterday afternoon right after you left, uh, a guy named Tom, pastoring at a church in Oregon. Uh, he's retiring, and he's looking for, for his replacement. And, and it was just like, you know, just, I, I picture sometimes God just kind of laughs at me, you know, because I'm, I'm so good at trying to do things my own way. And that God just kind of laughs and goes, hey, I had that in control if you just be quiet and be patient. You know, two things I'm not very good at, right? And so that led to a conversation. Uh, he, he, he said, I, I, I told, uh, told Tom uh, to call you tomorrow. Well, Tom calls me and I'm at Walmart, walking around Walmart. And if you remember Tom Moyers, uh, it was a two-hour conversation as I walked around Walmart. I had three things in my basket walking circles in Walmart for two hours. If you know Tom and you know me, a two-hour conversation is not surprising, right? Uh, two preachers talking. Um, but that led to a series of interviews, and, and I had several conversations with Jay, who was, who was on the elder board at the time, and, and uh, with Oli, who was on, on the old elder, elder board at the time. In fact, I remember... We came out in August to visit and came out again in October for a second visit that year. And I remember um, they, they, they put us up in Ed and Shirley Owenby's camper when we came out the second time. And Oli, <laughs> I'll never forget this conversation, um, he calls me and goes, if you guys don't want to stay in the camper, we'll put you in a hotel. 
Like if, if you're too high class for a camper. And at that particular moment, I kid you not, I was in the backyard of my mom and stepdad's house wearing a pair of sweatpants and a tank top with a BB gun shooting squirrels out of a tree. <laughs> I am not making that up. And I said, Oli, if you saw me right now, you would think the camper is probably too high class for me right this moment. Um, trying to keep squirrels off my stepdad's pecan tree. Um, and um, we came out and I'll never forget when I came that first time in August. It was hilarious because Tom told me multiple times, the church is not going to be told you're a candidate. You're just coming to preach. There's no pressure. And I mean, I was interviewing the day before with the elders, but I came out and on the bulletin (coughs) that Sunday was a huge picture of us with the words, senior pastor candidate, Kurt Witten. (laughs) And the best part was the picture was just taken off of Facebook. It was me and Jennifer and, at the time, our two kids, Titus wasn't born yet, at Disneyland with Goofy. That was the picture. I'm sure people are like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, are we picking Goofy as our next, uh, next pastor here? But, but I came in, the, in August of 2016, and I, I preached uh, a sermon. I, I asked, because um, I'd, I'd never preached a trial sermon. Actually, I had. I'd preached one trial sermon before, but uh, it, that was part of a series they asked me to preach. And, and so when I came out, Tom goes, you just pick something. And I'm one of these guys, like, if, if you want me to preach at your church, tell me what you want me to preach. They're like, oh, just pick something out of the Bible. I'm like, this is a pretty big Bible. There's a lot in there. <laughs> and so I asked uh, another one of my, my mentors, another one of my professors, who is now the lead pastor at our home-based church in Oklahoma, Dr. Brian Brubaker, and I said, what should I preach? And he goes, just preach your best sermon. Like, That's it? That's your advice? Just go preach my best sermon? He goes, yeah, just, just, just write your best sermon and preach it. I'm like, oh, thanks, no pressure. Thanks for the advice. So I prayed and, and looked, and, and God led me to a, a passage that I've read a dozen times, but it stuck out to me more that day. John chapter 20. It's one I've repeated multiple times, and I'm going to repeat it again before this is over. But John chapter 20, verse 21, when Jesus tells the disciples, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And that stuck out to me. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus says why he was sent. And those just embedded in my heart. And for the last five years, that's kind of been the way I have tried to take every step I have taken into ministry. Before I I jump in, I actually do have a sermon today. Before I jump into that, uh, I just want to want to acknowledge a few people, and I, I'm not going to try to say thank you to everybody that I can think of because I'll start forgetting people and and run out of names. But the one I want to thank first and foremost, outside of of God and, and Jesus, is, is my wife, and she's actually in with the kids right now, with with the little ones right now. But um, ministry's a hard gig, and I'm not saying that to say, oh, you did a great job. I don't mean that. <laughs> There's a lot that comes with it behind the scenes, and and just as important as the person doing it is the person walking beside him doing it. And she has been my, my ultimate, I call her my ballast. She's my ultimate whatever I need in that moment. Doesn't mean I like it in that moment, but she's what I need in that moment. She's been my cheerleader when I'm down, and she, if I'm a little too high, can bring me back to reality sometimes. Um, but she has, it, it's funny because she went to Bible college about a decade before I did. And her, her, her thing was she always assumed she'd go to Bible college and marry a pastor. Well, she went to Bible college and then a decade later married somebody who then became a pastor. So it was kind of backwards, but again, God likes to take our plans and shake them up and laugh at us sometimes, and, and it worked out. But 
this, you know, having her beside me as, as I've gone through this, somebody to bounce things off of, somebody to, 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 to talk to when I've needed that. Um, you know, she's, she's stepped in and done things when, when there's been a gap or an opening. And so um, just, I'm, I'm so thankful for her. Uh, for the, the staff I've had over the, the course of my time here, it, it's flipped since we've been here. It started with myself and, and Daniel Baker as our youth pastor and Pam Gutekunst in the office and then Trevor uh, Backoffner, who, by the way, passed through here briefly on, on his way. If, if you haven't heard, Trevor's moving to a new position back in his hometown. Uh, he'll be starting there in, in the next few weeks. Uh, so he'll be moving from Napa up to the Dalles. Um, I think they got there yesterday, but... Uh, Trevor and then Christine and Matt Ham have, have been on staff the past few years. And so uh, the staff that, that we've had, and being a small staff, we've, we've, we've had to shift and wear different hats and different roles. And it's never failed whoever has been there, whether it's Daniel or Trevor or Matt. They've had different strengths, which means I've, I've put on different hats when one of those has been in place. And so just a staff that's been adaptable and flexible. Uh, to the elders, I think back to yesterday we gathered here for uh, Ron Gutekunst's celebration of life, and Ron was on the elder board when, when I was hired. Oli and Jay and Jim, happy birthday, by the way, Jim. Yeah. Um, don't clap for that. It's, you can clap tomorrow at his birthday party. Um, but Oli and, and Jay and Jim and, and uh, Ken and Matt, Jared, Richard, guys that have been on, on, on the elder board since, since we've been here, um, you know, it, it was five years ago that they took a chance on me uh, coming in and um, sitting around and, and asking questions and, and throwing things my way and probably wondering, should we hire a 34-year-old with no experience? Um, you know, but, but they, they did, and, and you know, we, we've restructured some things, and we, we've angled some things and focused some things, and, and uh, they've worked alongside that, that the whole time. Uh, to the, the ministry leaders... Um, there's too many to, to rattle off in name, but the, the music team, um, Jim, Damian, Jay, the guys back in the sound booth every single week, um, the first impressions team, the, the coffee bar team, the, the kids and, and, and youth leaders over the course of the time here. And, uh, there's probably other teams that I'm, I'm leaving out, building grounds, storehouse, all the teams that make the ministry work. Uh, thank you to you guys as well, too, and then just as a, in, in general to the church, to you guys for, again, taking a chance on a 34-year-old with no experience coming in to, to lead and pastor and to, to, to grow in, in that course of time. Um, you know, the, we're going to kind of lay out in the next few minutes here what the future may or may not look like, but the important thing that we know about the future is that God knows the future. If you got a Bible, uh, we're going to finish up our series. We've been in this series the past few weeks on David. And we, we've talked a lot about David because David, I said from the beginning, he's a king, he's a warrior, but he's a lot like us in other ways because what David faced and went through is what we face and go through almost regularly. So we're going to kind of wrap this up a little bit today. And we're actually going to be in 1 Kings to start off with. We've been in 1 and 2 Samuel throughout this series, but uh, David spills over into 1 Kings before he wraps things up. And uh, I just kind of want to look at what David says to Solomon as he's about to step away and Solomon's about to step into the throne. 
And I want to look at that and, and kind of from that, kind of give my final thoughts and, and, and challenges to you all as a church as you move forward uh, facing the future. Second Kings chapter 2, here's what it says. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm going to pause for one second. I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. Yesterday, uh, we, we had Ron's celebration of life. If you weren't here, Bob Wood did the service, did a great job with it. Um, I wasn't going to be a part of the service because of just everything going on right now, but um, I was at the back, standing kind of back there where Donnie is right now at the end of the service, had the color guard come through and present the flag to Pam, and I was back there kind of making sure they got in and out of the, that door easily, and uh, Bob asked me to grab the mic, um, the, the, the wireless mic, and then said, we're going to surprise Kurt and have him come up here and, and give some final thoughts. I, that was not planned. I didn't, didn't see that. But he teed that up by saying, just as Ron has gone home to be with Jesus, Kurt is also leaving us. And I'm like, wait, what? what? Like, <laughs> did, I, did I miss something here? I mean, I, I'm going a different way, I think. But So just as David tells Solomon, like, that he's about to die. I'm not, okay? We're, we're stepping away. If God wants to take me home, great, but that's not part of my plans today. Verse 2, he says this, I am about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience to him, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. I look at this and two things jump out to me right off the bat of what David tells Solomon. He tells him to be strong and he tells him to walk in obedience to God. And so with that in mind, I just kind of thought, man, if, if I were writing my final letter to Redwood, uh, you know, just like Paul wrote letters to churches and in, in cities, if I were writing my letter to Redwood, what, what would I want it to say? And so I, I came up with a couple of challenges that I hope you as a church hold on to as you move forward. Here's the first challenge that I want to give you. Stay true to what you've been taught. Stay true to what you've been taught. Now, I want to disclaimer this. This isn't like an endorsement of me and my preaching, okay? It's not like stay true to what you've been taught in the last four and a half years. I don't mean that, okay? Stay true to what you know the Word of God says. Paul was, was very serious about this. In, in the latter part of Paul's life, the last letter he wrote is 2 Timothy, writes it to his protege, Timothy, who's going to take on some of the ministry that Paul has been doing. Uh, Paul writes these words to him, 2 Timothy 3, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Later in that passage, in, in chapter 4, verse 3, he says a very famous passage, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and they'll chase after myths. Now, why is that important? Because we need to remember who we are. And who we are is based on what we've been taught and what we do with what we have been taught. We remember our heritage. Redwood Christian Church is, you see that word Christian church, we're what's called a restoration movement church. That's something we probably don't talk a lot about. Maybe in this part of the country that's not as prominent as 
back in the Midwest where the restoration movement is a lot bigger and there's more churches. But just to kind of give you the nutshell version, a restoration movement is not a denomination, it's more of a brotherhood. Where we're independent churches, there's no like coalition that we belong to or conference that we belong to like the Southern Baptist Convention or like the Methodist Church or the Assemblies of God. We're our own church, but we share a common doctrine. We share common beliefs. We share the similar beliefs. Early 1800s, a couple of guys named Barton Stone and Thomas Campbell, along with his son Alexander Campbell, came together and basically formed what is also called the Stone Campbell Movement or the Restoration Movement. And they came out of different backgrounds where churches and Christians were identifying with that denomination more than with Christianity. They'd say, well, no, I'm a Methodist or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Catholic or whatever it may have been. And they said, no, we don't want those titles. We just want to be Christians. And so that's why we call ourselves Christian Church. And I love how they, they phrased it because they said, you know, we're not trying to sound like we're better than everybody else by, well, we're Christians, so we're closer to Christ. But they had this great line they came up with that we still use today. They said, we're not the only Christians, but we're Christian only. We don't want any other label, any other title. We just want to be known as followers of Christ. That's the heritage that this church belongs to. And so what they did is they tried to simplify down the doctrine. Instead of saying, we've got this massively long list of of things that you must believe, we're going to come up with a, 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 a simple doctrine to follow. And if it's not in that doctrine, we're not going to debate and fight over it. And so they came up with this, this great mantra in the Christian church, the Restoration Movement, that we still use today. It says this, in essentials, we'll have unity. In non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, love. Now, what do I mean by this? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. If it's essential, if it's a core belief, we are not going to debate it. Uh, for example, here at Redwood, we, ha- we have a set of core beliefs. They're, they're on our website if you ever go look there. These are beliefs that uh, probably six, eight months after I, I came on, we sat down with myself, the elders, we sat down, we said, we need core beliefs that we're going to put in stone. We will not waver on these. We will not debate these. If somebody comes in and wants to fight us, we're not going to waver. This is what we believe. If you disagree, you might need to find a church that says otherwise. Because to the best of what we can believe and study in the word, this is what the word of God says. Here's what they are. Redwood Christian Church, we believe in one God manifested in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We believe that God is the creator of man in all things. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, the Savior of the world. We believe in the Holy Spirit, that He dwells within every Christian. We believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God and the final authority on all matters of faith. We believe salvation is a free gift of the grace of God and is attained by faith in Christ alone, and our immediate response to that free gift is to repent of our sins and be baptized by immersion in water. We believe the church is the body and bride of Christ founded on the day of Pentecost, consisting of Christians everywhere. We believe death seals the eternal destiny of every person. The saved will inherit eternal life in God's kingdom. The unsaved will receive eternal separation from God. And we believe the Bible teaches that God intended marriage to be a monogamous, lifelong relationship between one man and one woman, and his design for sex is exclusively within the biblical context of marriage. Now, those are umbrellas, 
You notice we didn't say we believe Jesus died on the cross and rose. Those are fleshed out as well too. And there's scripture that backs up everything that we put on there. So those are our essentials and essentials unity. If somebody comes up and wants to debate that, we're not going to get into an argument. Uh, in non, or, I'm sorry, we're not, we're not going to welcome their debate. We're just saying this is how it is. This, this is what we believe. Non-essentials liberty. What do I mean by non-essentials? Well, what's not on that list? Things like, how do you believe the end times will shake out? Mm-hmm. Is, is there going to be a rapture and everybody's gone and then, you know, there'll be a seven-year tribulation? Or is it post-millennial? Is it all-millennial? What, like, I don't care. I believe Jesus is going to come back. I'm not going to argue with you. I said, I'm, I'm a pan-millennial. In other words, it's all going to pan out. You know, <laughs> Jesus is going to take care of it. Okay? Um, things like that. Things like, how should we dress to come to church? What's the best translation of the Bible? What kind of movies am I allowed to watch as a Christian? I don't care. Just make sure it doesn't mess up your faith. That's what I care about. So in non-essentials, liberty in all things, love. Now, why, why is that important? Because remember, David told Solomon, observe what God commands. Follow his decrees. <clears throat> we need to have sound doctrine as a church. Again, <clears throat> hold true to what you were taught. You can't do that if you don't know the word of God. You can't hold a teacher accountable if you don't know the word yourself. And so be in the word, follow it. Um, we, we have a, a, a twofold kind of commitment to the doctrine. One is to teach and preach sound doctrine, but the other is to stand against false doctrine, to, to rebuke false doctrine. In the book of Titus, uh, Paul is writing to church leaders, to elders, to pastors, to teachers, And he says this about an elder or a pastor. He says in Titus 1, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Now understand this, sometimes preaching a a, a false or twisted doctrine, it comes from somebody outside the church who is trying to manipulate scripture to fit their agenda. We see this a lot right now. There are churches who are taking scripture and, and they're justifying what they do in Scripture, but they're twisting the context, or they're rewording it a little bit. I mean, even Satan did this. You go to the, the instance where Jesus is in the, the desert being tempted, Satan's tempting him, Satan's quoting Scripture to him, sort of. Like he's leaving a word or two out, and he's taking the context and twisting it. That's what the world will do. And if you don't know what the word actually says, it's easy to follow that. And, and, and we're doing this with all sorts of, of, of agendas, all sorts of, of issues out there. Folks, we should let the word shape us, not the other way around. We need to let the word tell us when we are wrong, when, when one of our views is either maybe too right or too left politically. No, it needs to be biblically politically. Did I say that right? I think you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> But sometimes people, people will, will, will teach bad doctrine and they're not meaning to be misleading. Maybe they're just off on, on, on themselves. Maybe they've been taught incorrectly and they're passing it along. We need to learn to rebuke in love, gently. We need to learn this. And we know this if we know the word. 
Here's why that's important. I know I've said that like three times in this, this, this point here, but I'm getting somewhere. It's important because as a church, our mission is to make disciples, not just followers, not just people walking out of a baptistry, disciples. A disciple is not just somebody who follows Jesus. It's somebody who is becoming like Jesus. That's where we get discipleship. It's people becoming more like Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes uh, these words. Ephesians is, is all about church unity. It's all about oneness. We, were, we went through this book uh, last, last uh, year during the pandemic. We went through this almost verse by verse. But in Ephesians 4, Paul writes these words about why unity and sound teaching is so important. Starting in verse 11, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, prophet, uh, the pastors, the teachers, basically he gave the church leaders, he gave all of them to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. In other words, we teach the word not just to pass information. I hope that in my time here, I haven't just passed information but that we teach it so that it grows in you so that you become more mature. Just like I teach my, my eight-year-old, my six-year-old, and, and at some point I'll try to teach my three-year-old, <laughs> almost three-year-old, um, not just because I want them to know stuff. I want them to grow to become mature people. My job as a parent is not to raise good kids. My job as a parent is to raise good people and people who will eventually come to know Christ. And I hope as a church we're doing the same with teaching the word to others, that we grow to become disciples, mature disciples who are anchored and rooted in Jesus so that we don't get thrown off and misled by the world. So, so my first challenge is that hold true to what you've been taught. Here's my second challenge to you. Hold true to your mission. Hold true to your mission. Redwood Christian Church has a mission statement. Most churches do, a lot of churches do, but our mission statement here is this, that we exist to help people say yes to their next step with Jesus. Now, mission statements can change over time. They can be reworded or tweaked or tinkered with. When I got here, it was a little bit different. It was kind of longer, a little bit, a little bit clunkier. We, we simplified it. We kept the theme of we help people say yes to Jesus. We added in the idea of a next step. Because wherever you're at, you've got a next step that you can take. And it's easy to think about mission statements as being trendy or being uh, you know, something new. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, I'd never really even heard of mission statements. Churches I went to, we never talked about it. Uh, but most organizations these days have a mission statement. And it, it's easy to think maybe they're new or trendy or that we, we focus too much on them. But remember that Jesus gave us mission statements. Jesus had mission statements, and he gave them to the church. There are three very famous ones in Scripture. The most famous is Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when he says to go and make disciples. That's our mission. 
And then he gives us the how, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And just before he's going to heaven, he tells the disciples this. And in that same moment, just before he goes to heaven, Acts chapter 1 tells us another mission statement that he gives the disciples and us, the church, when he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I don't know which one of those he said first. He said them in the same moment just before he goes to heaven, but what's he mean by that? Go tell everybody you know about me. Go tell them everything you've seen and heard and done. Start locally, then go into the region, and then go globally. That's what he's saying in that mission statement. And the one I gave you earlier that's kind of become my personal ministry mission statement, John chapter 20, the night after he resurrects from the dead, he appears to the disciples in the upper room, and he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I love this one, because for me, this one puts my hands and my feet to work. Because when he says, as the Father has sent me, three times in the Gospels, he says why he was sent. He says, I came, or the Son of Man came, to bring life and bring it to the full, John chapter 10, to, to serve others, not to be served, Mark chapter 10, and to seek and save the lost in Luke chapter 19. So ask yourself, as a church, as a Christian, am I doing those things? Am I living my life to bring a full life to other people? Am I serving others? Is, is my life a life of service? And am I focused on reaching the lost? Because that was what Jesus was all about, was those three things. And so I think about mission statements and why they're important and why as a church we need to hold true to the mission. And I got three more reasons. I'm really on the threes today. You have to forgive me. Three more reasons why the mission of the church is so important. Here's the first. A mission provides a clear focus. A mission provides a clear focus. It gives a church clarity on what to do. Uh, if, if we're not careful, a church can try to do way too many things at once. In a church that has limited people and limited resources, if you try to do everything, you might not accomplish anything. And, and so it, it, it clarifies the focus and in particular, I like to run everything we do through the mission. Those three things I gave you a moment ago, those three mission statements of Jesus, purpose statements of Jesus. If something didn't exist to bring life to the full to other people, or serve other people, or try to reach the lost, I'll be honest, I, I'm not interested in doing it, because I want to do what Jesus was doing. So it, it helps to provide a clear focus, but a mission statement also provides a unified focus. Again, if we try to all do our own things, we're going to scatter and stretch each other. We're going to try to, to decide what's, well, my thing's more important than your thing. No, we want to be together moving forward. Helen Keller said it this way, alone we can do little, together we can do much. And it wasn't just Helen Keller. It's not just me talking about unity. Again, Paul was all about it. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll go back to it. Earlier in the chapter, Paul says this, starting in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That means put up with each other. <laughs> he says it nicer than I do. Verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You notice a theme? 
He says the word one seven times there. Unity is his focus. Elsewhere, Paul wrote to a church in Corinth that was dividing and breaking apart and following different leaders. And he starts that book off, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, he says, some of you say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Peter. Some say, I follow Apollo. Some say, I follow Jesus. He goes, did, did I die for your sins? Was I crucified? Did, were you baptized in the name of Peter? Were, were you like, brought to, to life through Apollos? No, you were brought to life through Jesus. So it's about him. It's about Jesus. Folks, the, some of you have been here through half a dozen pastors, if not more. Some of you have been here through, I think there's been seven of us so far. You understand something. A mission of the church is not about Kurt. It's not about me whatsoever. It's not about any uh, former or, or, or future pastor at this, this church. The mission of the church is not about any previous or current or future elder at this church. It's not about any previous or current or future ministry leader of this church. It's not about any previous or current or future member of this church. The mission of this, this church is and always should be about Jesus. Because no matter who is occupying the office of senior pastor at this church, he is the leader, Jesus. It's about him. It always should be about him. And only him. And that's, that's my third reason a, a mission statement is, is important. It provides a Christ-centered focus. A Christ-centered focus. The mission of the church must always be about and grounded in Jesus. The minute that we stop doing that, the minute we make it about a person or we make it about an idea, it ceases to be a church and it becomes a club. Some of you belong to clubs, country clubs or Elks Lodge or the Grange or, or whatever. We have different clubs we belong to. They're great. They serve great purposes. I don't want to knock any of those. But this is the church. This is not just a club or an organization of people who share similar interests and similar thoughts and, and enjoy each other's company. This is the bride of Christ. Guys, just like you don't treat your wife as just another woman, you don't just pick up your wife on the weekends if you're you know, free and don't have plans, and you've got other women to do whatever with. Throughout. You don't do that. She's your wife. She's your bride. The church is the bride of Christ, and we should recognize that. The church should never just be another thing that you do. It should be what you are all the time. It shouldn't just be I show up on Sunday mornings and I, I worship and I'm good to go for the week. It's not just a filling station. It's a launching point so that you can be the church Monday through Saturday as well. You can take the church and you can put hands and feet to it and live it out every single day. So number two, my, my, my thought, my challenge for you is to hold true to the mission. Here's my third challenge to you, and this one might be the hardest. Honor the past, but embrace the future. Honor the past and embrace the future. <clears throat> I know that change can be difficult, especially if you get change and then a few years later change. And I, I get that. And I understand we, we want to honor the past. Yesterday, we, we remembered Ron Gudekunst, and I, I remember conversations I had with Ron and, and how Ron really, truly served the church 
not just, I mean, he, he served God through the church, he just like so many of you. And, and I was thinking back through, anytime I'm at a, a funeral, I think back to other funerals I've been a part of, and, and I've got to, to, to conduct a few since I've been here, and you know, we, we've, we've sent some amazing people to heaven in my four and a half years here. That sounded wrong. <laughs> we didn't send them to heaven. God brought them to heaven, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we didn't facilitate it, okay? Like, we didn't make sure that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Um, but I was thinking back to, to Jack McCormick, and my goodness, what a servant. You know, what, what a legacy. We think about people like Jack, or like Ron, or, or other people who are going to come to your minds who have gone on to be with the Lord and serve the church. We want to honor what they did. We don't want to forget about it. But we also have to look to a future that we can't predict, a future that we don't know what's coming. And we need to be ready for that. And I want to just challenge you with that. I can't predict the future for you all. The, the elders can't predict the future for you all. But God knows what's coming. God knows what, what, what is coming. I don't know who your next senior pastor will be. The elders don't know this yet. You can be praying for them for wisdom and discernment as they search. But God knows who the next senior pastor is. And God's preparing that person right now. He's preparing you all for that next person. So can I give you just some encouragement, some thoughts as that person comes in? Whenever he comes in the, the coming weeks or months, embrace him for who he is. He's, he's uniquely created just like you all are. Be willing and eager to hear his vision for the church and the community. Be willing to get on board with it without making sure he's on your boat first. Listen to him. Let him be himself. He's going to have strengths and weaknesses just like we all do. I, I think about myself. I've got you know, certain strengths and weaknesses and, and just like you do. And I think as a pastor, sometimes the weaknesses get amplified, especially if the weaknesses of a pastor are in what you really care about. It's easy to amplify that. And trust me, I've said this before, I was a church member far longer than I've been a pastor. So I know exactly how that, 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 that thought process works. But embrace him for, for what he is. Remember that he's not perfect. He's a flawed person like the rest of, of you all, like the rest of us. But he's a flawed person who has accepted the call to serve the bride of Christ. And by becoming a pastor, yes, we put ourselves on a pedestal. Not a pedestal to be admired or worshipped or, or glorified. We put ourselves on a pedestal to be judged. Because we, as pastors, we accept a calling to be set apart. And so, yes, we are held to a higher standard. But remember, he still is going to have strengths and weaknesses. He's going to make decisions that you won't like. That, that's part of leadership, period, but especially ministry. And I think about this. I, I know I've made decisions over the years that, that people haven't liked. That's part of the job. I signed up for it. If, if I wanted a job where everything I did made people happy, I'd go buy a taco truck and drive it around neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. So accept him. Understand that that's, there's going to be times. Understand, too, he's going to be put in situations that are no-win situations. He's going to make a decision knowing full well it's going to upset people. Uh, last year, when we were coming back from, uh, from being shut down for, for the four months, we were opening the doors back up. I had somebody come to me. You know, we, we, were, we were deciding, you know, how are we going to approach this? Are we going to follow what the governor's laid out, or are we going to just 
say, you know, we're going to do it our own way. We're trying to bridge what's best for our people, what's going to help pe- people safe. We still don't know what we're dealing with, et cetera, et cetera. And in the span of about 10 minutes, I had somebody tell me, well, if you require face masks, I will not be there. And then a few minutes later, somebody said, well, if you don't require face masks, I will not be there. And I'm like, okay, so which one of you am I going to make mad today? <laughs> That's just part of the job. So understand that. This person's going to come and, and they're going to bring a unique twist with their personality. So, so learn that personality. Get to know them. Get to know them for who they are and embrace the future that they're trying to follow God on. They're listening to the voice of the Spirit, trying to lead this church into a future. Here's the thing. I, I, I give you these challenges, not so that I say, well, here's one last thing I'm telling you to do. Because come Tuesday, I'm no longer employed here. You can do whatever you want with it. So. <laughs> but because we have challenging days ahead as a church. The church, the big C church. And even though I'm going to be at a church in another part of the country, we're still together. We're still part of the, we're still the bride of Christ together. That's what I love about it. It's churches all over the world following Jesus. We have challenging days coming. And I don't know the future, but I know the world is growing increasingly hostile to the church and to Christianity. And I know that stuff comes down from the governor, it comes down from the president, it's going to come down from future governors and future presidents. I don't mean to pick on the ones we have now, because we're going to have future governors and presidents we like or we don't like. They're going to continue to throw stuff down. Society is moving further away from the church. In fact, for the first time in our country's history, less than 50% of Americans identify as Christian. Less than 50%. Now, notice what I said there. I didn't say less than 50% go to church. No, they identify as Christian. There's a much smaller percentage that actually goes to church. And the person who calls themselves an active, regular church member attends 1.3 times a month. That's about four times every three months. I say that to tell you, as a church, I don't know what is coming. God knows. God knows. And God's got things under control. There is absolutely nothing that a governor or a mayor or a president or anybody can do that's going to catch him off guard. Like, God's not going to be looking over the rail of heaven down into southern Oregon one day and go, man, I, I did not see this coming. <laughs> like, what do I do now? Like, it's not going to happen. He's in control. And remember that. So again, go back. What did David tell Solomon? Be strong. Be bold. There's going to be challenging days in front of you. There may come a day when, when I'm not allowed, quote unquote, by the government to teach certain things from a stage in a church. Be bold. Be strong. When, when the apostles were told in, in Acts chapter 4, don't talk about that Jesus guy anymore. And they're arrested and they get released. They go back and they pray. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray, God, squash my enemies. They prayed for boldness and courage. God, let us show them. Let us show them you. So be bold, be strong, but observe what he's commanded you to do. That's the number two thing he told Solomon. If you're not in your Bible every single day, get in your Bible every single day. I've told you guys this throughout. Don't follow and believe something just because I told you. Now, I I, I will say this. I don't 
claim to be an expert on the Bible. I'll never claim to be an expert on the Bible. I'll never claim to be an expert about God. The moment I am, I no longer need the Bible or God, okay? I want this book to shape me and mold me and whittle me down every single day. And I can't do that if I'm not in it. But I can tell you this, for the last four and a half years, every time I've taken this stage, maybe I'm not 100% right in what I teach, but every time I've taken the stage, the best of the ability God has given me, the best of the desire and heart God has given me, what I have preached to you is what I believe to be the truth of Scripture. And there have been times, I've told you, I wish I wasn't talking about this today. <laughs> this is not a fun topic to talk about today. There's been many times I've preached and I'm kicking myself more than any of you all. <laughs> be in the Word. If you need help with the Word, man, get on Right Now Media. We've had that for a couple years. There are some incredible Bible studies, dozens and dozens on books of the Bible, on topics. Uh, get, get the, uh, the Right Now, or I'm sorry, the Version Bible app on your phone. It's free. It, you've got every translation imaginable, devotional studies, reading plans, all this stuff to help you out. Go get a, a, a study Bible that has commentary notes in the bottom for if you come across a passage you don't understand, but just get in the Word Get in the Word. You cannot hold true to what you've been taught if you're not studying it. Get in the Word. Pray every day. You're like, well, I don't really know how to pray. Well, once upon a time, I didn't know how to talk to girls, okay? <laughs> first dates are awkward, okay? The first time you pray, it may be awkward, but just pray. And just like you get to know somebody and you grow in a relationship with somebody, the more you talk to God, the easier it gets, the more natural it gets. Pray every day. And you don't have to just pray for stuff. Like, just pray. Just talk to God. Have a conversation with Him. Get involved at the church. Get into a home group or a Bible study or something where you're surrounded by a community of, of, of Christians. Serve together in the church, in the community. Grow together in Him. That's how you'll get strong. That's how you'll keep His commands. Because as you allow Christ to shape and mold your heart, your heart will lead you to walk with him. I want to wrap this up a little bit different today. Because I, I kind of just think through my, my, final, my final thoughts and my final challenges for you all. I, I want to leave you with a prayer. And it's not even technically a prayer, it's just scripture. But I'm going to pray this over you. I'm going to, I'm going to do this a little bit different today. If you can, would you, would you stand up with me? As, as I read this to you, and I pray this over you. Because my prayer for, for Redwood as we move forward, as you all seek the future Christ has for you, is that you would continue to grow more like him. That you would seek him in all that you do. The book of Hebrews is, is one of my favorites in scripture. I don't know who wrote it, you know, there's, there's thoughts. It could have been Paul. It could have been Barnabas. It could have been Apollos. It could have been a woman. Maybe Priscilla. Maybe Chloe. I don't know. We just call him the teacher or the preacher. But he spends about 11 chapters of Hebrews comparing Jesus to everything else and how Jesus is so much greater than the angels. He's greater than the Old Testament heroes. He's greater than anything you know. And we should acknowledge that and worship him. And because of that, he, he starts chapter 12, as he starts kind of getting into his conclusion, he says it this way, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Redwood, here's my final thoughts for you. Every day, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your heart on Jesus. Keep your head on Jesus. And keep your hands on Jesus. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus and for his church. God, as we move forward, we pray that we would always keep you at the front of it. It would always be about you and you alone, never about us. We pray in your name. Amen.